preacher of the evening is Dr. Jim Russom. He is a graduate of Nazarene Bible College, I think 1973, if I remember correct, 1971, so part of the first class. And, uh, and, and Jim has been on campus the last four years, uh, serving as the Associate Director of Online Education. He's responsible for the minister, ministerial preparation program and a whole bunch of other hats. Uh, he's primarily a brother in Christ and has agreed to minister the word to us. Would you welcome him, please? We're going to do things a little different. We're going to start with a scripture reading uh, on the screen behind me. Sing some songs that I thought everybody knew and the... And maybe not, but we'll sing them anyway, because that's what we're going to do. So stand with me, and let's read this first scripture. Together. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. Amen? Amen. Let's sing this song about Jesus.
Scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 9. Read it with me. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Let's pray. It is the confession of our heart. We need you. You've helped us see it and then you've helped us in our need. We give you praise. Thank you for all you've done. Thank you for all that you're calling us to. Thank you for, thank you for blazing the trail, setting the example. We give you praise. Amen. You may be seated. I want you to think back with me to a time perhaps when you were younger and someone would come up to you, usually an aunt or an uncle or a grandparent, kind of pat you on the head and say, what do you want to be when you grow up? Anybody remember that? Anybody ever have that question? What do you want to be? And kind of down through our lives, that kind of changes, you know, all the way from agriculture to astronaut, you know, I mean, it just kind of goes the gamut. And when I was smaller and people would say that, what do you want to be? Well, I'd kind of think about my granddad. We were Tennessee farmers living on cotton patch and raising hogs. But I gotta tell you, I'm glad I'm a Gentile because I never met a pork chop I didn't like, you know. And um, so I, I think there were times when I was little that I wanted to be a farmer like my granddad. And then my dad got his own business and built this big business up. And I think I want to be a mechanic like my dad. I tried that for a while, that's too dirty. And, uh, and then I decided, that I, used, I remember I'd be chopping cotton, you know. I, really, I'm serious, I'd be chopping cotton. I'd see these planes fly over, I'd think. Oh, that's what I want to be. Someday I want to be an airplane pilot. So in the seventh grade, uh, we didn't have ROTC in our school, but we could join the Civil Air Patrol back when it was the Auxiliary Air Force. So I joined the CAP. Man, I threw myself into it. I, I'm going to get my certificate of proficiency, which I did, and all that stuff, and I'm going to be a pilot. But in my heart of hearts, deep down on the inside, ever since I was five years old, I knew what I really wanted to be was a pastor. I don't know how to explain that because I didn't really give my heart to Jesus until I was eight. But I guess it has to do with the fact that my grandmother, you know, uh, took me to school uh, or to church in that little Baptist church out in the country. And, and I really cannot remember, I know it's probably going to sound weird, but I cannot remember not liking church. Even when we had the mortuary fans. Anybody been there? I, mean, I always wonder about that. You know, kind of makes you think about eternal things, doesn't it? You know, while the preacher's preaching. And, uh, and then the bees would come in and there was no air conditioning, you know, that kind of stuff. And, but, but I just remember somehow falling in love with the Word of God. And in my heart of hearts, but when you're a little kid, you think, I want to tell somebody I'm going to be a preacher. They say, you be a preacher? Are you kidding me? You know, and then I got a little older. And then I got into Bible quizzes and some other things. And, and then about the age of 13 or so, I, I began to kind of confess out loud, well, you know, I'm not sure, but I think maybe I'd like to be a, a pastor. But 
I don't know. I got my eyes on the Air Force, too. See, see my mom was a dyed-in-the-wool Baptist. I guess you'd call her a Babdarine. She loved the Nazarene church, but she just never would join it, you know. And so um, she said to me, once I began to talk to her about this call to preach, she said, well, son, if you're going to be a preacher, why don't you at least be a Baptist so you can make some money? You know, that's, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, so then what I decided I'd do is, as, as I thought about that, and you know, Mom, you're right. Every Nazarene preacher I know is so broke they can't pay attention, you know. So, you know, maybe there's a better plan. So I decided to stick with that Air Force deal because I could go in at age 17. I could come out at age 37 and have this really neat pension, and then the money wouldn't be a deal, right? And I'd do the preacher gig later. After all, I'd be going to school and all that stuff in the meantime. Did you ever make a plan and show it to God so that he would know what you're supposed to do? <laughs> Did you ever notice how unimpressed he is with that? <laughs> well, I didn't go to the Air Force. At age 17, I went to Trebekah Nazarene College. Because during those times of struggle, I came to the realization that I'll never be happy unless I do what God has asked me to do in my heart of hearts. I want to be a pastor. I've always wanted to be that. And what a happy day in my soul when in a time of personal devotions I surrendered that to God and said, okay, God, this is what I really want to be and I'm going to put all my eggs in that basket. And you know what? God's always taking care of me. Amen? I'll tell you, there's no better place to be. Well, <clears throat> now I kind of got my eyes off the Air Force and I begin to get my eyes on, on teachers and stuff that I met. And I remember at Trebekah Nazarene College, I met Dr. John Allen Knight. Oh man, what a giant for Jesus. I wanted to be a teacher uh, and a leader like Dr. Knight. And then I, I transferred to Bible College. I, I got married. My wife just fell in love with me. And uh, we just had to get married, you know. Just, oh, we're just going to tear up Jack for Jesus together, you know. And so as a young married couple, we came out to Bible college. And I met Dr. Williamson. Oh, I want to be an Old Testament teacher like Dr. Williamson and memorize the book of Isaiah. And then I met Mrs. Williamson. And I want to be able to say, pass the butter until it sounds spiritual like she does, you know. <laughs> and then I met Dr. Oak. And, and I wanted to be a great theologian, a great Wesleyan theologian, and, and know those theology books by heart. And on and on it went. And in the process of that, while it's great to have those heroes of faith and great to have those influences in our lives, will be influences, and the teachers here will influence your lives. But in the process, I discovered that what I saw in these men was not their talent and their greatness, but was Jesus. And I came to discover that what I really wanted to do and what I really needed to be to be a good pastor was to be like Jesus. What is your image of Jesus this evening? That's our theme, to be thinking about being transformed into his likeness. As I begin to think about uh, my privilege to share uh, the bread of life with you this evening, the image that kept coming back to me was the image of Jesus as the great shepherd. For you know that's what the word pastor means, shepherd. So let me walk through those passages that you read earlier just for a few moments and then talk about really applying them to our lives. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now catch this phrase, the Father of compassion. How awesome. Now when I hear that word Father, I think of Daddy and his kids. Father of compassion. Is that the way you see God tonight? Because you see, when you see Jesus, you see God. And when you see God, you see Jesus. And the better image we have of that, the better biblical image we have of that, the better we understand the image that we are to seek for and what Jesus wants us to look like. Amen? 
Now, if I do that, that means? Amen. Amen. Thank you. Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Now, when I see the word God and I think of, I mean, I know who the Bible's talking about there, and I know what Elohim means, and I know who Yahweh is, and I know who Adonai is, and I'm telling you, that just jumps out at me and says, nobody can comfort you like God can comfort you. And then how about this one? The God of all comfort. There are some little words in the Bible that are so important. This is one of those. All. You know what that means? I don't care what you're going through. I don't care what the trial is. I don't care what the hurt is. I don't care what the situation is. He is the God who can bring comfort into all and every situation, no matter where you are. Who comforts us in all our troubles. So that, not just so that we're receivers, but that like God and like Jesus, we will be givers in order that we can do the same thing, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow into our lives, in other words, some of the same kinds of things that brought pain and trouble. Now, I was a pastor for 35 years before coming to NBC full-time. And I still consider myself a pastor because that's all I've ever really wanted to be. No, I just pastor about 500 online students. And, uh, and I love it. I, I love it. And I love the chance to break the bread of life with you like we're doing this evening. But I've got to tell you something. When, when I look at that, I, I also know that you and I need to face the reality that sometimes when we're like Jesus, both in the world and in the church, we'll suffer for it. Can I tell you a little secret? Shepherds tend sheep, don't they? And I wish I could tell you that all sheep are always light and fluffy and woolly and baths to sleep. But sometimes they're stinky and they kick and they bite and they run off. And the truth of the matter is that some sheep are just harder to love. But when you have a shepherd's heart like Jesus does, then even though it may be a painful experience to do it, the truth of the matter is, you love your way through it. Uh, there is a website on the church planting website, and at the top of that website is a simple little phrase, but it is so, so very true. It says, we must love the church. Amen? If you're going to be a shepherd, if you're going to be conformed in the likeness of the great shepherd, you got to love the church. Even the stinky sheep. you got to love them. Because i got to tell you something. There have been times when you and I were a bit stinky too, huh? Amen? And God loved us anyway. Amen? And then cleaned us up when we get still long enough to listen to his voice. Amen? This is the way Jesus looks at us. Matthew chapter 9. I want to read it to you in its entire context for a moment. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. What do we see here? Jesus does and acts like the Father, doesn't he? He sees a need, and he's anxious to meet it. Verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. 
Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And I want to tell you this evening, the kind of workers that he needs to go out into the harvest field are the kind of workers that love sheep the same way that he does. The kind of workers who see needs in the same way that he does. Let's walk through that just for a few moments and, and see how that really applies to our lives. For what we're dealing with here are Christ-like characteristics. The characteristics of compassion and comfort. Now, how many of you just get blessed every, every time you're assigned an exegetical paper? Now, your teachers are in here. Say, amen. Yeah, oh yeah, you love it. Well, learn to love it. You may not always write a paper like that as a pastor, but you're going to do those exegetical steps so that the word will just unfold for you and jump out at you and help you to see things you might not see otherwise. And so one of the things I love in that process is etymology. I love to look in there and say, why did the Spirit lead them to use that word? Why did the Spirit lead them to use that phrase? And what is the significance of it? And so as I began to study, I, I began to look at this word compassion. And, and the interesting thing was that the, the words mercy, pity, and compassion kind of derive from the same root meaning, and they're really tied together. And, and I remembered as I looked at that word mercy that the Bible tells me that God is rich in mercy. Rich people tend to not run out of things, huh? God will never run out of mercy. So that tells me that if God places his spirit in me, then I too can never run out of mercy. Amen. God is rich in mercy. And, and mercy, they tell me, is the idea of not only perceiving a need, but having a deep, deep desire to meet it. And then there's pity. And you know, that's not a word that I don't, we don't tend to use that word the way the Bible does. The Bible sees that as being tender-hearted. And then compassion. This, this word, from, from the very structure of it, is the idea that it just comes from deep within you. And it's the idea of being compelled to be merciful, being compelled to be tenderhearted, being compelled to love. No wonder the Apostle Paul would write, his love compels me. And if I'm going to go into the world like the great shepherd went into the world, I must go compelled by the very love of God. And then he is the God of comfort, the Father of compassion and the God of comfort. And I discovered that the words comfort, consolation, and encouragement were tied together. How interesting. For it denotes in the very root of the word a calling alongside. Kind of coming up and putting your arm around somebody and, and speaking tenderly one-on-one. -on -one. Have you had Jesus talk to you one-on-one -on -one lately? Have you listened for his voice so he could do that? And in the midst of some stuff that you're going through that you think, I don't know if I'm going to make it, have, have you been still long enough to let the God of comfort come alongside and speak tenderly, one-on-one, -on -one, with encouragement? And, and interesting enough here is this word comes from the idea of lifting something up. <clears throat> you ever hear people say, when I get to heaven, I want to meet Paul or Moses or whoever it is. And, and I'd like to see all those guys too. But you know what somebody I want to meet? Barnabas. I am intrigued by a man whose nickname was Son of Encouragement. Wow. I have a feeling he was a lot like Jesus. I have a feeling that when Jesus came into a room, spirits just kind of lifted up. And I ask myself, 
Is this true of me? And can I tell you a little secret? If you can't do it in the classroom, you'll never do it in the church. Yeah, I know, term papers, homework papers, uh, you know, all that stuff. And the pressure and uh, paying the bills and yeah, 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 yeah. But if you can't have an uplifting spirit in the middle of all that, you'll never have an uplifting spirit in the church. This is part of the training ground. Nobody ever said it'd be easy, but it's definitely worthwhile. Amen? Amen. But the neat thing is, we're not in school by ourselves. You're not even writing that exegetical paper by yourself. Isn't that good to know? Now, Jesus does his part, but you've got to do your part to get the grade. But the Lord helps us seriously in everything. Whether it's our reading reports or a speech that we're making or a, a, a sermon in a preaching class. The, the point is, do you realize that while you're going through all this, what Jesus wants to do, if we'll just let him, is come alongside, speak tenderly in your ear, put his arm around you, and lift you up and say, you can do it. And there'll be times when you're shepherding and pastoring a group, whether it's the youth or a senior pastor or a staff pastor and a group of people you're working with, there'll be times when the only way that you're going to be able to minister to those people in the midst of their need is because you've let Jesus come alongside you and speak words of encouragement and lift you up and mold your heart until it is compassionate and comforting like him. So, it begs then this question, so what? If God's like that and Jesus is like that, then does it not make sense then for us to say, well, if we are in fact being conformed to that image, then we too should be like that. Let me ask you a question. When you come into a room, would they call you the son or daughter of encouragement? Or might they call you something else? <laughs> oh, wouldn't it be nice? If you and I longed more than anything else, that when we would come into a room, they'd see Jesus. You know, that's easy to say. And it's not that hard for it to become reality, but we get so busy and life gets so cluttered that before you know it, we're just busy doing church stuff even as a pastor, doing church stuff, even as a teacher, professor, administrator, doing Christian stuff that Christians do, that we can forget that what it's really all about is being Jesus while we're doing. Because it's too easy to be doing and not being. But if you make it, if you make it the deepest desire of your heart, I want to be like Jesus, then these things will be true of you and true of me. Well, okay. So I look at that, and I see that, and I say, okay, Doc, you're right. I really do want to be like that. So, what do I do now? Now what? Well, here's how you respond to it. To be conformed to his likeness begins with a desire to be like Jesus. I mean, you've got to really want to. You've got to really want to. And I want to. And I'm hoping next year I'll be more like Jesus than I was this year. And there was the year before that. Because it is a continual, transforming, growing, cleansing, empowering, loving process. Where through every situation of life, the God of comfort and compassion comes and places his arms around me. And never, never leaves me forsaken. 
Amen. Do you believe that? Have you experienced that? See, that's the good news that we have that the world absolutely does not have. They have no idea that God's like that. And if they want to know it, we've got to show it as well as preach it. Amen. Conform to his likeness means to desire to be like Jesus. Oh, to be like thee. Some of you are too young to maybe know that old hymn. Oh, to be like thee. Oh, to be like Jesus. Then you've got to believe in his transforming power. The Apostle Paul, you remember in Romans 12, reminds us that we are being transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we can think like God. For you have to think like God in order to act like God. You can't think one way and act another. I mean, you can try, but it doesn't really work. But when you're thinking the way God thinks, how does God think? God sees a need. He perceives it, and everything within him wants to meet it. And when you come across needy people, regardless of your ministry, regardless of where you're working right now, regardless of whether you're on campus or off campus, when you become more like Jesus, you see a need, you perceive it. Something within you says, I've got to do what I can do to meet it. I've got to be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. I want to believe that God can transform me, make me think like Christ, renew my spirit, transform me, cleanse me, empower me, sanctify me, set me apart, and put me out there just like he was in the world. Desire and believe. Here's a really neat thing. The Bible teaches us that when we desire and believe, we receive. Receive all that the Spirit has to offer. You know, I'm so thankful for the scripture in Galatians that tells us what the fruit of the Spirit is. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, self-control. And there's no law against any of those things. Everybody really would love to be like that. And the good news is that the more I become like Jesus, the more I become like that. Now, this is not a fruit tree where you, you know, pick. Well, I'll pick love, but forget the patience part, you know. It's just one fruit with all those ingredients in it. And, of course, if you want to be more patient, God's going to allow you to experience what? Tribulation. Yeah, the best way to get patience is to be in a situation where you need it. And the good news is that even in tribulation, even as a student when you think you can't make it, even as a pastor when the burdens and, and the budgets and the everything begin to get to you, even when it all comes in, the God of comfort and the God of compassion comes and slips his arm alongside, whispers sweetly in your ear, lifts up your spirit and says, you can. I am with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And then embrace. Embrace this image of ministry. Don't strive for it. You, you don't, don't try to work it. Don't, don't try to make it happen. Just embrace it. Just believe that as you allow Jesus to permeate every aspect of you and your life, as you let him transform conform, empower, renew. As God's ministry like that works within you, just embrace it, anticipate it, expect it, celebrate it, live it. There is a sense in which we must never, even as the sanctified, stop praying. Change my heart, oh God. Make it ever new. You know, the, the, the Bible tells us that his compassions are, are new every day. Every day, God wants to do this in us in a fresh new way. Every day, he wants to come alongside, put his arm around us, whisper sweetly into our ear, lift up our spirits, and say, you can do it.
Let's do it together. Let me change you. Let me transform you. No excuses. Well, you know, I've just always been negative. Well, don't brag about it. <laughs> you know? Well, I've just always been grumpy for morning. Well, get ungrumpy. You know? Well, I just always get uptight when I have to. Well, quit uptighting. You know? I mean, just begin to embrace the fact that no matter how you've always been, the good news is what you can always become. Because it's not how we start, but how we finish. And God doesn't see how we were, but how we are, and how we can be. Embrace it. Embrace it. Embrace it. Now, where the rubber meets the road is this. I have discovered that God loves to put stinky sheep in our sheep pen. He loves to give us people who are hard to love. You know why? Because they need it. And because he wants to make us the kind of shepherds that perceives a need and sees a needy person and doesn't say, oh no, not them again. I'm tempted, <laughs> you know. But to learn to see them, they are harassed, they're helpless. God has something so much better for them. How can I be a part of God's great solution in loving and leading them as a compassionate, comforting, caring shepherd? There are a lot of images you can take in the ministry with you. The CEO image, the rancher image, this image and that image. And you can get all caught up in success and popular and all that jazz if you want to. But if you want people to remember you forever, be a pastor. Be a shepherd. Be one who represents the God of comfort and the God of compassion. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. In a moment, we're going to sing together, asking you prayerfully in this song, Lord, show me what this means. Show me what it really looks like. And I pray two things, that as we sing this, if anybody tonight, if it would be helpful for them just to kneel for a few moments at an altar before they go and say, Lord, you know I'm having a tough time loving so-and-so. You know, Lord, I'm having a tough time letting you lift me up. Lord, I have a tendency to see the problems rather than the solution. Lord, I've been so busy, I'm forgetting to be like you. And there are times when all of us need to pray that prayer. Lord, as we sing this prayerful song, not only show us what it means, but give us the courage if we need to call on you for special help tonight, just to come and kneel before you and say, Lord, here I am. Make me more compassionate. Make me more caring. Make me a more comforting person. Would you stand together, please, as we sing? <laughs> Heavenly Father, we are so full of gratitude this evening that you are the kind of God that you are. In the busyness of the world and temptations and trials and testings and tiredness and busyness will sometimes cloud that picture. And instead of just running to you with our arms open wide to the Father of compassion who loves his children, we tend to try harder work harder, do more. But Lord, that's not the way. 
Instead, let us learn to open up our arms and just hunger for your compassionate touch and the sweetness of your encouraging voice and the comforting of your presence and learn to receive all that the Father of compassion, the God of comfort, has for us. For this is how Jesus treated all those around him and it's how he treats us today. And I pray that every heart will be encouraged today just to catch a new glimpse and a new vision of the Father of compassion, the God of comfort, and Jesus, the gentle, great, and loving shepherd. So put your arms round about anybody, Lord, tonight who needs to kind of hear that in a special and fresh new way. I love you. I know what you're going through. I've been there. I will not leave you nor forsake you. I am with you. <clears throat> and so, Lord, that we ask also that you will implant deep within the desires of our heart to be more like you, regardless of our calling, whether it's pastoral ministry or whether we're working in the workplace, ministering to those about us, we need to be like Jesus. And so help us to keep our main heart's desire focused on that, that you might transform us and make us more like you. Now may every heart that has come before you this evening be full of praise and victory and joy. We ask in the sweet and precious name of our Savior Jesus. And now I say to you, go in the love and the comfort and the companionship of the God of all comfort and compassion. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.